the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Well, we thought the month of June was going to be like that couple in the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. You know, the ones who had just bedded down for a long winter's nap when they were rudely interrupted. Brad and I were all set to kick back and talk about Nebraska games past, but our plans were also interrupted. CU starting quarterback, Sam Neuer, has entered the transfer portal. As a result, we're going to first discuss the announcement and discuss the timing, as well as what the future holds for Sam Neuer and the remaining members of the CU quarterbacks room. We will then shift our attention to our time machine and discuss two of the great CU Nebraska games of the past, the 2010 victory over Nebraska 35 years ago in 1986, along with the 1991 Ice Bowl at Folsom Field. As always, please subscribe to the podcast so that you will receive an alert when new episodes are posted. And please feel free to leave us a review or even questions for future podcasts. Sam Neuer was CU's first all-conference quarterback in the 21st century, and now he's off to another school. Where will he land, and who will replace him behind center when the Buffs take the field on September 3rd? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back with Brad Geiger from Warm Highlands Ranch. How is Brad doing today? Brad is doing well, hiding in the basement to avoid the heat, so we're doing all right. Very good. Well, we are going to talk here in early June about taking a stroll down memory lane because there wasn't a whole lot of news. The spring football was over. The spring semester was over. The transfer portals pretty much shut down. Teams are pretty much have their lineups all figured out for the fall, barring a couple of transfers or injuries. and. CU's starting quarterback, Sam Neuer, second-team All-Pac-12 player, the first all-conference player at quarterback for Colorado in the 21st century, announced that he was leaving for the transfer portal. Well, we'll talk about the uh, <laughs> what that means for Mr. <laughs> Neuer and what it means for the University of Colorado football team, but what was your initial reaction when you saw the news and texted me and saying, we're going to talk about something other than 35-year-old football games? This would have been surprising at any point, but to do it now, after spring practice, but well after spring practice, um, was confusing. Um, It's a bad time for Sam. I don't know what team he expects to land on. Um, Most teams are, at this point, 
having gone through spring practice, trying to settle in. And it, of course, makes you wonder what was said, what he thought he saw in spring practice, what he heard perhaps from the coaching staff about the fall competition. Um, He obviously did it as Sam has always done it with a lot of class. His released statement was uh, very classy and in no way through CU under the bus or any of the coaches. I was mostly confused and then bluntly a little bit excited. Okay, well, we'll get to the excited part. We'll stick with the confused part for here for a minute. Because, yeah, I, I was a little, had a little trepidation when I looked at the wire reports, you know, the CBS headline, ABC, you know, ESPN headline about him going into the transfer portal, about how they were going to spin it of Colorado being in disarray heading into the fall and stuff like that. But they were nice enough to play or, you know, put out most of his statement and and Carl Durrell's statement. And it was a mutual love fest in terms of saying, yes, he didn't feel like he was forced out. It was his decision and it was amicable. And Carl Durrell's that was amicable. But again, like you were talking about that, the timing of it certainly left something to be desired, at least in terms of understanding it's interesting that the Boulder Daily Camera just a few days before ran an article basically saying, well, you know, CU's added 25 players, lost 19 players, kind of went through. They even quoted Bob Lopez, who's the director of player personnel. He said, we feel like we're in a really good place. That, yes, there's always hope for a fifth-year senior offensive tackle or safety coming along that would be added to the roster late. But we were at the number, which at the time was 89, 85 plus the four super seniors. So barring a little more attrition here and there, it seemed like the 21 roster for the University of Colorado was in place. Spring football was over. Spring grades were in. We're up and going. And then we lose Sam Neuer. Um, And I look back at some of the quotes from the spring. They asked Carl Durrell back in April, was it his job to lose him being Sam Neuer's? He said, you know, I guess you could say so. Someone's going to have to beat him out. Hopefully he's fully healthy and ready to go. And we've got capable guys to back him up or compete with him, but he certainly wasn't saying that his injury was not healing well. It wasn't a question of, well, we're not sure if everybody's going to be back. The assumption everyone's talking about his injury, he was doing well. He was throwing, not in practice, but he was at least participating, uh, watching the drills and being in the meetings and things like that. And even uh, Sam Nori was quoted saying, I feel there was a lot of unfinished business going back to you know, the last couple of games of last year. I felt like it kind of left it with a bad taste in my mouth after those last two games. It kind of sticks with me going forward. I don't want to feel that I, the way I felt after those last two games. That, as you mentioned, he's a consummate team player. Even during the Alamo Bowl, I remember we talked about even when he was pulled, and Brandon Lewis went in that the guy that was cheering him on, the guy that was talking to him on the sidelines was Sam Neuer. He didn't go off and sit with his headset and kind of mope about being pulled. He was trying to win the game and trying to help his teammate do as well as he could. That's one thing I think we are going to miss 
without having Sam Neuer, if you want to talk about the team going forward, that he was a team guy. He was very much a, a buff, which kind of makes it, again, all the more confusing as to why he would pull the plug and not try and compete for the starting quarterback position in 2021. So it's speculation on our part as to why that happened and why it happened when it happened. Yeah. And it, you know, probably will remain that way so far. This is not the Durrell administration has not been one with a lot of leaks. So one would think that we will never know the full story and, you know, perhaps we don't need to certainly nothing in Sam's uh, comments indicated he knew where he was going. He said he hoped to go to D1. He mentioned that he had experience on the other side of the ball, which I thought was an interesting way of putting it. I don't know if that's telling potential coaches that he knows defenses or saying that he'd be willing to play safety again. Yeah. Um, so it it seemed like somebody who didn't know where he was going to go, but it wasn't going to be here. Um, yeah. And the idea, you know, you mentioned, you know, playing in the Pac-12 and things like that. I can't, nothing against Sam Neuer, but I can't imagine that there's really any Power 5 team or Pac-12 team or any other Power 5 team really that is looking for a quarterback that has six games of experience at this point. Now, there are quarterback situations. I mean, you know, we don't have to go very far. Utah is probably going to be starting Charlie Brewer, who is a four-year starter for Baylor. And he's a senior graduate transfer, whatever, you know. <laughs> it's hard to put any sort of uh, class rank on it. But it used to be you can only transfer as a graduate after you've graduated. You can only go to a school that had a graduate program that your school didn't have. Right. Now it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Because Sam, Sam Neuer already graduated. So now, theoretically, he was in a graduate program at the University of Colorado for the last nine months. He's going to transfer to another graduate program. I mean, but anyway, get, but the idea that Charlie Brewer left Baylor after four years and is going to probably be the starter at Utah. So, the concept of having a senior starter move on and start at another school, you know, Russell Wilson did that, ended up in Wisconsin, played a year, went on to the pros. You know, it's certainly not unprecedented, but those quarterbacks, we're talking about Charlie Brewer, you're talking about, you know, Russell Wilson, they were accomplished quarterbacks. And while Sam Neuer will leave with the distinction of being the only quarterback or the, well, at least the first quarterback since Joel Klatt to leave school with a winning record and the first one in the 21st century to be all-conference, I don't think it's a, a seller's market, you know, for Sam Neuer. Especially in June. Yeah. Um, I, we're all getting used to all the transfer rules and everything else, but it is a strange time to do it. One would think that he'd want to be somewhere where he could compete in spring ball. Of course, he wasn't physically capable of doing that. It just seems unlikely that he will find a spot in the Pac-12 as he hoped. I think, sadly, it's probably unlikely he'll find one in the FCS level, although he did specify Division One, not FCS. FBS. 
uh, yeah, excuse me, FBS. So he perhaps, might very well. He might very well. He, well uh, as long as he doesn't go to Northern Colorado, you know. <laughs> but they've got their own quarterback. They've got the kid, yeah. the coach's kid at quarterback. So I don't think we have to worry too much about him transferring to Northern Colorado. That would be a that would be a shock. And of course, I think all of us would say that perhaps, with the exception of Northern Colorado, if Sam can catch on somewhere in the FCS, more power to him. Yeah, um, I think there are, you know, on the message boards, there's always the naysayers about how he couldn't read zone defenses and wasn't a quality quarterback. I think if you look back a year ago, he wasn't even on our radar. It was Tyler Lytle's job to lose. And maybe this kid, Brendan Lewis, would come in and do something. And Sam Neuer was a safety that came back as fodder to be the scout team quarterback or to just have an extra body to throw the ball around when the, you know, the starter got tired in practice mm-hmm. and ended up not only winning the job, but competing and winning games for the University of Colorado. So I, I don't think there are too many Buff fans that are going to have any ill will towards Sam Neuer. And if he can find, like you say, the starting position at Portland State, if he wants to go back home, more power to him, and we'll be cheering for him. Yeah. The question now becomes, now that we've said goodbye to Sam and we've done all the drama we need to do about why he's leaving, who starts? Yes. All the discussions we had after spring practice about who looked better, Shrout or Lewis, all of those discussions about what kind of style of quarterback we were going to have, whether we wanted a more Sam Neuer type who was, you know, more stand in the pocket, although Neuer could certainly run, or we were looking for perhaps the more athletic art run pass option quarterback. All of those get magnified about 48% approximately. (laughs) So it does leave some question marks. Are we going with the transfer who does have, starting experience who has played in the sec his last game was against texas a&m of all people versus a quarterback which technically is still a true freshman now he's been on campus for a year it'll be a year and a half by the time we get around to september is it possible that maybe even likely that colorado has more than one starting quarterback this fall that you know, you don't want to have a relief pitcher. You want to have someone win the job. But is it clear enough that we're going to have in the first half of the month of August enough separation that we're going to have one clear, hopefully one clear starting quarterback? But the fear would be that we're not going to. And, of course, with Sam Neuer in the mix, that, that question mark was even greater with three people in the mix rather than two. And, of course, you can't completely dismissed Drew Carter, but I think we're going to dismiss Drew Carter at least for the 2021 season, barring injury. So it's a two-man race. Will the coaches be able to come up with a clear front runner, a clear starter? Somebody's going to have to take the first snap on September 3rd. Well, again, we are always operating with limited experience here. Carl Durrell has coached six games at the University of Colorado. What we do know from last fall is that there was a perception that Neuer and Lewis were close. 
um, that Lytle was a step back. And then once the decision was made, the decision was made. So far, we have no evidence that Darrell's ever going to go with the hot hand, that he's going to, you know, alternate quarterbacks by driver, any of the other things that you see occasionally by generally not successful teams trying to figure out which quarterback is going to play the game. Will either one of them separate? I don't know. But my guess is that by the first game, the coaches will have decided someone did. Yeah. And right up until something comes up and you can make the argument that they did pull Sam Neuer in favor of Lewis during the Texas game, the Alamo Bowl. But that, I think, had more to do with Neuer's inability with his shoulder injury to completely run the offense than it had to do with, hey, let's see what we can do to create a quarterback controversy. So, yes, to be determined. And we will probably not know until the week before the opener. Probably the last week of August would be the best guess. They're not going to be able to completely surprise Texas A&M, but they're going to be able to surprise Northern Colorado, let them prepare for both quarterbacks, and to an extent, let Texas A&M prepare for two quarterbacks. But we're going to know something, and we, as fans, will probably be the the last to know. So good luck to Mr. Neuer. Good luck to J.T. Shrout and to Brendan Lewis and may the best man win and lead us to a bowl game and a winning season. Most definitely. Okay. Well, now I do want to take a stroll down memory lane um, on the see what the game website. I'm taking a summer series here. This is the anniversary season for some really important Colorado years and some important Colorado games. And we're looking back specifically at the 86 season, which was 35 years ago, 91, 30 years ago, the 96 team, the 2001 team, and skipping right over 2006 and 2011, which were (laughs) very, very bad seasons. And looking at the 2016 season. So I've invited you here because you and I have been together longer than even the most distant anniversary season of 86. I don't know. We actually didn't know each other in 81. We were both CU fans in 81, but we didn't know each other yet in 81. So we can't go back the full 40, but we can go back 35 years. So the 1986 season, 35 years ago, had, to my mind, the my my still my favorite game of my 40-plus years of being a CU fan. I'm going to lead into the Nebraska game for you a little bit here, a little background for those that might not have as much gray hair as you and I have. Um, but the 86 season, we have to really go back to 84, was a 1-10 in 10 campaign. Somehow, Bill Merolt, even though Bill McCartney had won seven games in three years, gave him a contract extension after a one in 10 season. Everyone thought Bill Merrill was crazy. Went back to black and went ahead and posted a seven and five season in 85. Uh, the first winning year since 78, first bowl game since 78. Fans were pretty excited going into the 86 season. So short lead in, there was excitement coming into 86 that we were going to build on something going back to the wishbone and 
have another winning season at another bowl game. Unfortunately, the Buffs in 86, and this is back when there were four non-conference games. You're playing in the Big Eight, seven conference games, 11-game season, four-game non-conference season, and the Buffs, coming off that great 7-5 and campaign, started off 0-4. Now, the losses, there is an embarrassing 23-7 to loss to CSU in the opener. Can't do that. Close losses to Oregon, 32-30. to 13 to 10 at Ohio State, not too bad, not bad. And then a 24-21 home loss to number 10 Arizona, hard to believe. Picture number 10 Arizona. So three close losses, but losses nonetheless. 0-4 non-conference. The Buffs started conference play with wins over Missouri and Iowa State to go 2-0, leading into the Nebraska game. So the Buffs were 2-4. 2-0 and in Big 8 play going into the October 25th game, 1986, against number three, Nebraska. And, of course, the Cornhuskers were undefeated, ranked third in the nation. This is a team that hadn't lost to Colorado since 1969. So we're talking about a 17-game losing streak to Nebraska. We'd beaten Missouri 17-12. They beat Missouri 48-17. We lost Oregon. They beat Oregon 48 to 14. So not looking so good for the University of Colorado heading into that game. So there was no television. Hard to believe. There's no television coverage of the game. Bright Saturday afternoon, two and four Colorado against six and oh, number third in the country, Nebraska. Take it from there. Well, for one other thing I want to add is Regarde, when Bill McCartney came from Michigan. He declared that we needed a rival. Um, having grown up on the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, uh, McCartney knew that that was important. And he very early on picked Nebraska. To say that that statement and that pick came with some derision would be a significant understatement. Um, <laughs> Mocking. From, yes. yes. Um, Nebraska never took it seriously literally never took it seriously. And even it you, it was like you could have aimed slightly less high. I mean, we, you know, Kansas and Kansas state were both out there begging. Yes. We, we could beat the cyclones. <laughs> yeah. There were, there were other teams. Um, yeah, you could pick as picking, your rival. Yes. <laughs> yes. Picking Nebraska or Oklahoma seemed unduly optimistic for the team at that time, but, if anything can be said about Bill McCartney and many things should be said about Bill McCartney, the man's level of optimism was rarely undimmed. He was or an amazing his, motivator or his competitive nature. I mean, it would be not unlike Carl Durrell now saying we're 0 and 14 all time against USC. We don't care about USC, Notre Dame. We don't care about USC, UCLA. We don't care about USC, Stanford or Cal, anybody else. USC is our rival right now. You go on national television, ESPN, and they're looking at, and they said, can you pause that for a second? I want to just, you know, well, I want to have a little fun with that one. Yeah, uh, That's the kind of attitude that Nebraska had towards the University of Colorado in, in 1986. And to his credit, even though Sue had not beaten Nebraska in his first 82, 83, 84, 85, four attempts, it was, wasn't 
all that, the first one was bad. Then the, I think it was 83. It was, it was out to 40 to 14, or maybe it was 82 game. It was four, it was 20 to 14 going into the fourth quarter and ended up being 40 to 14. And then the 85 game, which we actually went to, that was our, that was our first road trip. We went to Lincoln. That was a 17 to seven game with CU playing with its third string quarterback. I don't remember if it was Rick Wheeler or Craig Keenan was a second was second or third. One of them was second. One was third behind Mark Hatch, who had gotten hurt the week before. Played with the third string quarterback most of the game and only lost 17 to seven in Lincoln. So it wasn't that, you know, he couldn't motivate the team. He just didn't have the players to make it happen. So two and four, even though we'd been competitive against Nebraska, it didn't seem likely that Colorado was going to pull off the upset. And for those of you that are waiting in suspense, you know, of course, the, all the, the game is all in the see the game website. And I'll have this all posted as links with the, with the podcast that it was 20 to 10 Colorado victory. Colorado scored on a 39 yard, 40 yard reverse by Jeff Soupy Campbell Scored on a 49-50 yard halfback pass to now associate athletic director Lance Carl. And one of the field goals, you know, I remember this one, you know, Dave DeLine hit a 57-yard field goal. He was eight for 17 for the year. He hit two of 10 attempts beyond 40 yards, but he made a 57-yarder mm-hmm. against Nebraska to give us a 10-nothing halftime lead. So it took a Herculean effort, and the two touchdowns were not of normal making. And yet the defense was able to rise up against a team that was scoring 35, 40 points a game and hold them to 10 points. What stood out to you? What were memorable plays, or what uh, do you remember about the, the afternoon and sitting in the senior section as we were being law school students uh, 10, 15 rows up from the the bench on the 45, 50 yard line. Well, I mean, while I'm not by nature, perhaps as pessimistic as some of my long-term friends, that would be me. (laughs) Um, the whole time you keep waiting for the wheels to come off, particularly the defense. Uh, McCartney had called perhaps his most exciting game ever, at least since we had moved to the wishbone. And they had done some things on offense enough to keep the ball away from Nebraska so that it wasn't a running it up. But you kept waiting for that pitch to the outside where the Nebraska halfback would turn and run unencumbered 60 yards into the end zone. Or, you know, that kind of thing would just, you knew that had to happen because that's the way CU played. They had teased us the year before. They had teased us in the non-conference schedule. There was always, in large part because we simply were not as talented as those teams, there was always the fear that no matter how hard you played, something was going to go wrong. We were not delusional. We knew we were not the most talented team. We did not quite yet believe that we were a better coach team, particularly against Tom Osborne. So you keep until probably halfway through the fourth quarter, I remember a sense of when is this going to go wrong? Because the lead was never big. Yeah. Um, 
you know, up by 10 against Nebraska, up by 10 against Nebraska in the third quarter, up by 10 against Nebraska going into the fourth quarter. All of that was wonderful and amazing and just could not last. Yeah, um, wouldn't be able to close the deal. That that was the, the pending sense of, of doom. But and I, I can remember distinctly one once in the first half, once in the second half, where it was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, put... Well, I'll give you three plays. One was, and I'm not, I can't remember. I should have looked this up. It was somewhere probably in the middle of the second quarter that Nebraska tried to run a reverse or did some sort of end around kind end of around. thing. Yeah. And we turned each other. It's like, oh my God, they, they're running trick plays. Nebraska <laughs> doesn't need to run trick plays. Why is Nebraska? They, yeah. It's like, oh my God, they can't figure us out. They, our, the, our defense is playing so well that they're running trick plays. The, oh, my God, here we go. And I recall distinctly Larry Zimmer, and you can hear it on the tape, you know, that because they had to use the KOA broadcast for the video because, again, the game wasn't on television. Uh, right before halftime, there was a pitch, Mark Hatcher, that it was a fumbled pitch. Nebraska recovered at, like, our 20, 25-yard line. And it was like one of those – Ah, okay. Yep. Yep. Here we go. And I Larry Zimmer's call was that's the one thing they didn't want to do. <laughs> and Nebraska ran three plays, got zero yards, and missed the field goal right before happened. It's like not only did they not march right in triumphantly, they didn't score on a turnover deep in CU territory. And then the play for me that was the oh my God. This is actually happening. It was 20 to 10 late. Nebraska was driving. They were just barely inside CU territory. And there was three minutes and 14 seconds left. And we know this because the replay, there was one of the replays that they had was from field level. And you could see the clock, you know, the Enzo, the bowl clock down there in the corner of the student section had the timing on it. Barry Remington at about the 40, 45 yard line, right in front of the CU bench, right in front of us, intercepted a pass. And it's like, oh my God, we have a two score lead. We have the ball and there's three minutes left in the game. This is actually going to happen. And that was the moment that I remember distinctly from that game. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, there really was not a moment up until that point that you thought, we got this. Now, as the fourth quarter went on, as Nebraska continually failed to make the big play, as we saw three and outs from a Nebraska offense that everybody thought could score 20 against the Broncos, <laughs> you know, as they failed to always, you know, well, as they, even when CU was not scoring, there was time coming off the clock there were instead of three play drives they were six play drives we're not making the big mistake we're not right you know there was there was not you know the intercepted pitch or that kind of thing now there were as your game summary points out there were a couple of missed bullets places where cu could have made the mistake but the other thing we began to realize is that while we were not up and down the roster as talented as Nebraska guys like Jeff Campbell guys like Barry Remington 
were big eight quality players. They were guys who deserved to be on that field with Nebraska. Bill McCartney and his staff were big eight quality coaches, and they deserved to be on that field. O.C. Oliver had as much talent as anybody running the ball for Nebraska. You began to realize that all these three-star recruits, and remember, in those days, you didn't have a 1,500 videos of high school players. You began to realize that these guys that were coming into the program were ball players, and we didn't have enough of them, but we had some, and that if all the breaks worked out and if the coaches made it right, we could play with these guys. Well, and one last, you know, oh, my God moment was with 16 seconds left when Nebraska turned the ball over and down and nobody in the stadium, including the referees, realized that they had, you know, because the receiver caught the ball, but he ran out of bounds to try and stop the clock, but he stopped short of the yard to gain. (laughs) And it took a little conference of the officials to realize that was fourth down. It was a turnover on downs. They signaled it and the fans started to come out on the field, even though there were 16 seconds left. And it was like, oh, my God, we're going to forfeit the damn game. (laughs) Somehow the big eight will find a way for us to lose this game. Even though we're at 20 to 10 with 16 seconds left, they're still going to make us forfeit the game. They fortunately just marched off 15 yards, let Mark Hatcher take a knee, let everybody run out into the field. Um, One last story before we move on to 91. The uh, picture from the Colorado Daily the next Monday, the ne- the following Monday, was how about those buffs? And there was a picture of the goalpost being torn down, and it was you know black and white with the you know the the score in the background and things like that. The, like a year or two ago, I got an email from out of nowhere from a guy that said, um, you know that picture that you have on your website from the the Colorado Daily. You know, that guy that's hanging for on for dear life at the top of the goalpost, uh, that's me. And he said he'd been looking, you know, called the archives, called CU, tried to find. He wanted a, a copy of the, the newspaper. He said, would you make me a copy so I can, you know, do something or have that? And I said, well, how about you just take the original? Because I've got, as you well know, tubs and tubs of old CU stuff. And I still had the original Colorado daily from October, what would have been 27th, <laughs> 1986. And I sent it to him and he only framed it and put it in his office. So that type of camaraderie, that type of love of that game, you know, that memory of that game, it's not just you and me that are old. There are lots of other old CU fans that remember fondly the 1986 game, which will be celebrating its 35th anniversary this fall. But we need to move on. Um, For those that are still with us, we're going to fast forward five more years to 1991. And this is how the world had changed in those five years. Of course, there had been the 17-year gap where we hadn't beaten Nebraska. Now, entering the 1991 season... Colorado was on, well, at that point, a 15-game Big 8 winning streak. 
having won the last game of 88 in all seven games of the conference in 89, all seven games in conference in 1990, played for the national championship after the 89 season, won the national championship after the 1990 season. Of course, lots of players graduated, lots of players went on to the NFL, but C was still pretty well thought of heading into the 1991 season, 30 years ago. Again, however, the Buffs stumbled in non-conference play, going two and two. Close losses to Stanford, 16 to 14, and to, or to Stanford's 2021 to Baylor was 16 to 14. Uh, but again, just like in 86, turned it around once conference play started. Heading into the Nebraska game, the Buffs were 3-0 and in conference, including a 34-17 win over Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. was, and the Sooners were ranked number 12 in the country at the time. So see with certainly much better position in 1991 than in 1986. The Buffs were 5-2, and 3-0 in Big 8 play. Nebraska, meanwhile, was 6-1. and one. Uh, The only loss was in a non-conference game to number four Washington, which would go on to share the national championship with Miami uh, later, a couple months later. So the Nebraska Cornhuskers were six and one. They were also three and zero oh in Big Eight play. So if Nebraska could beat Oklahoma, obviously the winner of the Colorado Nebraska game was going to be the Big Eight champion. Play in the Orange Bowl, perhaps for bigger things down the road. Colorado probably not already having two losses, but at the time it was number fifteen Colorado hosting number nine Nebraska a night game, and I have to admit to all of our listeners that I was not there for this game. I was home, comfy, cozy, watching the game on ESPN. Brad, however, was there, and the official temperature was 12 degrees. Wind oh, it chill, was not that warm. Windshield was eight below. Well, we'll talk about the game itself here in a minute, but first tell us about your experience in what is officially the third coldest game in Colorado history and the coldest game in 60 years when it was played. It was, well, first of all, it didn't come as a surprise that it was going to be that cold. We knew all week that it was coming. It had snowed a couple days before or perhaps the night before. And so CU and Boulder we're all busily trying to figure out how we were going to survive this game. My response was to go to the army Navy surplus store on Wadsworth in in Denver, um, where I was living at the time and buy a pair of Sorel pack boots <laughs> and a, and a pair of used Swedish army winter pants which I still own. Both of those are still my snow shoveling attire. <laughs> Your um, go-to. And the pants weigh approximately 27 pounds. <laughs> um, they are, you know, quarter inch thick pressed wool. And so we were trying to get ready for it. They had plowed the seats, but not all of the stairs. So one was sitting on metal benches with our feet in snow. And the temperature continued to plummet. It was probably, it was the second most miserable sporting event 
weather-wise that I have ever been part of. And the only other one was sitting in three rows from the top in the old Mile High Stadium, watching them get pummeled, watching the Broncos get pummeled by the Giants in a 14 below wind chill. <laughs> um, but this was, you know, exciting. Again, we knew we could play by now. We knew we were probably or were every bit as talented as Nebraska, perhaps more so. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, who had who could play better in this kind of weather, whose offenses worked better in this kind of weather. So, yeah, unquestionably, the weather, the cold was the story of the game going into it. Yeah. And folks might not remember, I mean, we had AstroTurf at the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the lead-ins for the ESPN coverage, and again, you know, the YouTube video was on the website. The poor sideline reporter who had to be out in there, in the in the elements with you, basically, you know, wrapping on the on the ground, <laughs> saying, "Well, this is cement we've got here that they're playing on," and obviously traction was going to be an issue. And yes, which offense could survive in those elements, but. You know, over 50,000 people were in attendance. It wasn't like the Utah game a couple of years ago where we had, you know, 1,500 people show up. You know, they said the attendance was like 10,000 or something, but it was closer to 1,500 that were actually in the stands kind of thing. And, yeah, when you've got the snow at your feet, you better have lots of layers because if your feet get cold, then it's it's game over. And this is from someone who has gone to games at – Montana State University. So I, and I've been to, you know, I was at the Utah game a couple of years ago when um, it was just awful and um, very few people in the stands. But the game itself, was there anything that stood out to you about? And the game ended in a 1919 tie. And Colorado arguably had a three peat, did not lose another game. Darren Hagan left, played. Quarterback for three years, went 20-0-1 in Big 8 play as Colorado's quarterback. Shared the Big 8 title, but of course, since he had been to the Orange Bowl more recently, Nebraska got to go to the Orange Bowl. Colorado played Alabama in the now-defunct Blockbuster Bowl. (laughs) Both the bowl and the Blockbuster. Yes, the the very much deceased Blockbuster Bowl. But the game itself featured one play that is still the only play of its kind in Colorado history, which was? That would be the blocked extra point, which was then picked up by Greg Beaker, one of my favorite players ever, and who then rumbled, and I use that term in perfect accuracy. It was the longest 90-yard run I have ever seen a high-level athlete make. He weaved, he wove, he ran. The field was slick. Greg was an excellent linebacker with really good speed up to about 20 yards. (laughs) (laughs) Good closing speed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, there was the joke about a monkey getting on your back. There were packs, herds of monkeys. (laughs) Uh, leaping upon Greg, but they were not Nebraska monkeys. It was the kind of game that you could tell was just grueling. And then when Beekert is lumbering down the field with a similarly lumbering group of CU 
players and an equally lumbering group of Nebraska players. It, 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 it was slow and fascinating and eventually ended with the strangest point you will ever see scored. Certainly the only time I've ever seen it scored. So that clearly I remember. The other thing I remember is that as Nebraska lined up for the potential winning field goal, we were all sitting there. It was late at night. The sky was perfectly clear. And every bit of heat in Boulder had flown up into the atmosphere. <laughs> and Nebraska lined up, and Bill McCartney did what was absolutely required. He <laughs> called a timeout to ice the kicker. And 52,000 people went, oh. <laughs> it was an audible groan from everyone. And then the block. And it wasn't a sense of relief because it was a tie game. It was just like, it's over. <laughs> this is, it's just done. You've, it, it felt more like something you would endured rather than enjoyed. Yeah. And just to give a little context to it, the extra point block, which again is the only time CU scored a defensive two-point conversion in history. The Buffs were up 10 to 3 late in the second quarter. Nebraska had scored on a 49-yard touchdown pass, which for Nebraska was very uncharacteristic and very depressing for CU fans. So it was 10 to 9 lining up for the extra point. Beaker runs it back, 12 to 9 at halftime, 19 to 19 at the end. And it was Greg Thomas that blocked a 41-yard field goal in the last play. And those, for those of you that are not old enough to remember it. We did not have overtime back then. It was a tie. And Bill McCartney's quote was, we don't go out in that kind of weather to play for a tie. You know, we want to win the game. So he was obviously very relieved to come away with the tie under the circumstances. But yes, it left Nebraska in the driver's seat because they had to lose in order for Colorado to go back to the Orange Bowl as big a champions, they did not lose. They went ahead, beat Oklahoma as well, finished 6-0-1. We finished 6-0-1. Nebraska got to go to play in the Orange Bowl. Officially, the game was not the coldest in CU history, even though it was 12 degrees. The eight below, wind chill is the worst, tied for the worst in Colorado history. The... Worst air temperature at kickoff was in 1911, seven degrees, one degree below wind chill against Colorado A&M, now CSU. NCU won 31 to nothing in 1931, 10 degrees, seven degrees with the wind chill. Buffs beat Colorado College 17 to seven. To add some insult to injury, three weeks later, the Buffs played at Iowa State in a blizzard. 17 degrees, eight below wind chill, and won 17 to 14. So they probably won that game because they were well prepared to play in below zero wind chill weather. So uh, a memorable game, even though it ended up in a 19 to 19 tie. I entitled my coverage of the 1991 season in the See You at the Game archives, Kissing Your Sister, um, because that's what that type of a tie would be like, especially when it ended up, CU ended up tying for the Big A championship as a result. 
I'm glad you got to go. I'm glad I got to hear your stories. I'm also glad that I didn't have to physically be there. Well, I, I managed to get out of it with no actual frostbite. The trudge to the car is actually memorable. It just was, it was the quietest crowd you'd ever heard. You, I mean, any other game, at least somebody goes out happy, either the majority home team or the minority visitors. Nobody walked out happy. It was, and we were all just done. <laughs> well, and I think done is what we're going to have to leave it at. <laughs> We've got the 2001 season, the 1996 season, and the, of course the 2016 season. We can also do some strolls down memory lane for, but for now we're going to let that be the final word. Well, actually I'll let you have the final word, anything, words of wisdom. Um, we've got some new signees for the class of 2022. We're going to be dealing with down the road. Of course, there might be more transfers in or out from the university of Colorado roster. We're going to be talking about, but uh, for now, any final words of wisdom from Highlands ranch in the 90 degree weather. <laughs> Even in the heat of summer, eventually fall will come and Boulder will be beautiful and the buffs will be wearing black and football will come back. Very good. We will talk at you soon. Take care, my friend. Thank you for listening. Brad and I will be posting two podcasts per month during the summer. So look for our next podcast which will include your questions, news updates, and perhaps a look back at other anniversary games here in a few weeks. Once we get closer to the start of the season, we will go back to weekly podcasts with updates for fall camp, along with previews for upcoming opponents. It's getting closer, Buff fans, so stay with us here at the podcast, and remember to check in with the See What the Game website, which is updated daily throughout the year. Until next time... Be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.